everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of UGA Sports Live Podcast. My name is Rodney Nabulsi. I'm joined by Dane Young and former Georgia Bulldogs head coach Jim Dunnan. The main reason you were all here. The main reason uh, anybody even tunes into this show. I know that uh, a lot of people want to see Dane and get his uh, comments. And uh, they love my bad jokes and uh, ad pitches. But the real reason you're here is to hear Coach Dunnan. And Coach, I want to go back to something. We're going to bring in a special guest. But I want to go back to last week. Right off the bat, one of the questions we got was should Georgia be worried about uh how the recruiting class was going I mean I don't even know if they were in the top 20 last week uh it was July 5th the day after the 4th and everyone was not everyone but a lot of people kind of worried about it but Georgia has gone on a tear in recruiting and I just kind of want to before we bring on Jed May our recruiting guy guy just want to kind of get your thoughts on Fans worried a bit, you know, worrying in July. But at the same time, the, the recruiting calendar has been moved up so far. Is it legit to be worried about it in July or should we trust in Kirby? Well, you know, the final date is uh, in December. So there's plenty of uh, territory to be covered. And there's, but as you mentioned, uh, particularly with COVID, these kids started visiting a lot sooner than normal. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of official visits in June and, uh, then the calendar closed. Uh, I think my main concern would be the amount of guys in the in the state that are that are out there is deciding which ones to take, and then some of the ones we try to get we lose. So, uh, you know, that's continues to be on a problem for any coach at Georgia. It was for me, mm-hmm. was for Coach Rick. I mean, it's just you know, there's just a plethora of players in the state. So. Uh, yesterday we lost a guy to uh, in the 24 class to uh, LSU to uh, a coach that was here, uh, you know, a receiver from Grayson. So that worries you sometimes. But I, I don't think you can get to the point where you, uh, based on results, that you can be too quick to criticize our recruiting and what we're doing. But I would say we're really doing well, particularly in the uh, northern areas with uh, – new secondary coach coming in, opened up a lot of different uh, avenues there and got a 25 kid committed running back from uh, Philadelphia, which is outstanding, but you know, two more years, but I think our recruiting right now to me, we got to get some offensive linemen. Hope we get the receivers that we say we're going to get and then see what happens on quarterback, whether you uh, take one or not, we'll have to see that. But, uh, any more of your former players got sons coming through that, that are going to be in those recruits? Because you've had a few of those. Yeah, well, hey, we're glad. That, I mean, that'd be not, you know, we still haven't had a running back commit. Certainly, uh, <laughs> the Saints, hopefully we can uh, close the door with him. But uh, you got guys that are just really close like him and Caleb Downs and uh, and the secondary just four the five-star players, depending on how they're rated by different sites. But I say both of them are both quality young men. So we'll just have to see uh, what happens here. And I'm sure Jed can shed some light on it. But uh, speaking I'm of happy, him, Jed I'm, happy, I'm happy about where we are. Uh, as I've said on the show so many times, you can't really languish and worry about the guys you lose. Uh, you, you're going against good people. Uh, we're losing them to – you know, uh, good program. So that you, you just can't get every kid, but we certainly get our share. And uh, I would say my main concern is the number of 
in-state players that aren't coming here. And uh, what do you think about that, Jed? Don't you think we're losing some pretty good in-state players? I wouldn't count the one Weeks. You know, Weeks is a really good player from Oconee, but, you know, we've got so many good linebackers, it would be hard for us to take him. But don't you think we're losing some in-state players that uh, normally you'd think we'd get? Uh, there's some. I mean, you mentioned JoJo Stone out of Grayson, and he's a guy that had built a really strong relationship with Cortez Hankton, like you mentioned, then Cortez goes to LSU, and and that sort of changes things. But I think you look at the 23 class, the top two players in the state, Caleb Downs, Georgia's right in there with, Justice Haynes, we all think Georgia leads for. Um, but then there's some other guys like Dylan Lonergan is one of the top guys in the state. He's a quarterback. Obviously, we know what happened with quarterbacks. Georgia went all in on Arch Manning, and Lonergan decided, okay, well, I'm going to narrow it down to these other schools, and he committed to Alabama yesterday. So when you look at in-state guys, I think you look towards the 24 class, and and it's just a, a stupidly talented group. I mean, we were talking about this on Rumors versus Facts last night. It's like 11 of the top 50 kids in the class right now are, are in-state, I think. Um, I already got two of those committed in Nycar and Landon Thomas out of Colquitt County, which you've got K.J. Bolden at receiver. You've got – um, you've got Zion Ragans out of Reagans out of Jones County. You've got um, Michael Welch out of uh, Baldwin. So there, I mean, there's just guys left and right. In Daniel Calhoun's a talented uh, offensive lineman. Um, Miles Graham out of Woodward Academy, a really talented inside linebacker. Sammy Brown, a really talented inside linebacker. So there's guys stacked all over the place in the 24 class in Georgia that I think anything that might be worrisome in-state recruiting as far as 23 class quote. 23 class goes is going to be made up for on the back end of that 24 class with how talented that group is. Can you see uh, some with all the time you talk to these guys, maybe some people worried about the backlog of talent we got on the 23 players looking at all these guys we got coming back and we've recruited. Are we losing some guys because they, they feel like they can't get in here and play early? Yeah, it's definitely something these kids take into account. I mean, you look at, the secondary class, for example, Georgia signed last year. A lot of these kids have taken that into account this year of saying, hey, why would I want to go to Georgia and and have to wait a couple years when I could go to another school and and play right away? Well, we talked about that on Rumors versus Facts last night as well, another shameless plug where Ohio State didn't sign as many defensive backs in their class last year, so I'm sure that's a big part of their pitch to Caleb Downs is you can come here and, and compete <clears throat> compete for a starting spot right away, but an offensive line, I think, is the same way. You've got a bunch of guys there. Georgia's got obviously signed a lot of depth there over the past few years with Sam Pittman and and Matt Luke. So if you're a 23 offensive lineman, you're thinking, okay, it might take me a couple of years to even crack the two deep with some of those guys stacked up there. I might um, look at some other places. But it's you know what Georgia pitches and Coach Don, and I'm sure you know this and have heard this. Georgia pitches. Hey, you might not be playing on the field on Saturdays, but it's what happens Monday through Friday that really gets you better. You're going against the best of the best in practice to to develop those skills. So even if you're a guy like um, I don't I don't I don't even know a good example, a guy that say you start end up starting for one year, you're still going to be drafted into the NFL because you've gotten so much better in in practice over the two or three years you've been in Athens. Isaiah Wilson comes to mind for a guy that didn't. Uh play a ton, but then had great senior junior year, great junior year, tore it up. And uh, you can go the Andrew Thomas route where you play three years, then you can do the Isaiah Wilson where you just have like one really big year. And the NFL, of course, as Coach John will tell you, he talks to the NFL coaches. Heck, he brought up some of those NFL coaches. 
the guys they worked under him who are uh, head coaches now. Uh, they it's based on potential. You didn't have to have three year a three year resume. It's just like, hey, can you play in this league? Then show us in that one year. But some kids don't want to wait, and that brings up the question. You guys touched on it both. Um, from Big Sky Dog, he says, Coach, why is UGA having a hard time landing offensive line targets? And I'm, I remember one of the first things you explained to us on this show back when we were at the old Champions location on um, uh, Baxter Street. We had a question about offensive linemen, and you basically pointed out there aren't a lot of human beings that are six foot six, 320 pounds that run like that. So you're pool of potential talent among the population is limited and therefore everybody puts a premium on those guys. And then Jed, you're talking about how Georgia's landed a bunch of those. That to me seems to be the situation, but coaches, it, uh, what makes it hard? What makes it so hard to recruit those guys? Well, first of all, you've got to get get guys that can move good enough to block these big D linemen that are so athletic. And, uh, so I think one thing that, uh, you always look at is coaching changeover. Uh, anytime you have a, a changeover in your coaches and uh, a position, there's going to be a little bit of adjustment there uh, with the new recruits trying to build a relationship with a coach who hasn't had one. And then uh, the fact that he might have some different skill sets that he's looking for and the techniques he uses. So there might be some guys that we might have thought we were going to get that we've let up on. So I think there's a little bit back and forth there. I know Stacy picked up that kid from uh, up in Virginia at the small school uh, up there. Uh, Jed can tell us his name, but but he he was a guy we weren't on, but uh, he really hasn't been rated that highly. But he had a tremendous camp. But I just think that it's just uh, inexact science. It's so a little bit because some of these guys develop, get stronger, but if a guy can't move at all. He's going to have a hard time playing on this level. You got to have some quickness, and then you got to get some leverage. I mean, the short, quick offensive linemen just aren't playing anywhere anymore on teams that are winning. That's what you talked about—the leverage part. But uh, I think we're at a crossroads right now that we've got just enough good players there in the O line to carry us for this year, and next year. But we can't have another year like we just had where, you know, we had some guys up in the air that we didn't get and we didn't bring in a whole lot of uh, really good offensive linemen last year. You know, I think Ernest Green's going to really help us, but some of these other guys are going to be players, but they're not the definite guys like Roderick Jones and guys like that right off the bat. So that's the way I see it. Some of that with roster management is going to get tough too, because, I mean, it was announced today that Cedric Van Pran is one of Georgia's players going to SEC Media Days. Typically, if a player represents your team at Media Days, they're close to being done after the following season because that means they're a star player. That means that they're good with media and good with people and have good relations. Like Van Pran's definitely a guy that could go pro after this year. You can't say that about many centers, but the only senior on the offensive line is Warren Erickson. So your two most experienced seniors could be gone going into 2023 and so that means Georgia better have somebody ready at that spot. And yeah, Jones. I mean, you got to figure he's coming out. The guy's got so much going on. But of all the guys on our team, if you had somebody that was going to be, if they had a for pick who was going to be the governor of the SEC based on how they present themselves, Van Pran would win in a landslide as far as media uh, ability. So 
Kirby understands that. I mean, he he and Nolan Smith will absolutely slay him down there. And of course, Stetson would just see who's asking him, and he'll play back and forth with them. But he'll be screwing around with them, trying to get something going. But Stetson's way ahead of most of these guys when it comes to it. So. Three tremendous representatives of our program will be there with Stetson and Nolan and Van Brandt. And that gives me a, the, the question from Run the Damn Ball came up and said, who is going to uh, – who is Georgia sending to SEC Media Days? Coach, you just answered it again. I want to get – I want to test Jed's uh, knowledge of the current uh, recruiting class, the current commits, if you will, not the guys who were um, uh, we think might join the class, but of Georgia's 13 commits – Jed, give me the uh, 2026 SEC Media Day representative. Three of those guys. Let's see. Hey, you're the one who has to interview them. You've talked to these guys. So That's who's true. Because, uh, like, last year you go, you know, Jalen Walker, no question. There's Right. Oh, they should have sent Jalen Walker this year as a true <laughs> freshman. Uh, Pierce Sperlin would be a good one. Pierce is a good one. Okay. Pierce is a good one. Um, Jalen Walker was 2022 class, wasn't he? That's what I'm saying with this last class. You could easily say Jalen Walker and name a couple other guys from this past class, but I want to know with his 2023 guys, the ones that Jed interviews, who is that guy that just has that charisma that you're like, hey, I mean, we knew Cedric Van Pran. I'm like, he was Jalen Walker a couple years ago. You knew you could send him as a true freshman and he would just hold court. So, yeah. Um, Pierce is definitely a good one there. I like that. I mean, Ryquez McEldry was a really charismatic guy. He's obviously flipped to Alabama now. yeah, right now I'd say Pierce. I mean, Raymond Contrell, too. Like, I don't know that you send two guys that play similar positions, but Raymond Contrell is a guy that's been very vocal and uh, recruiting for the class and everything on Twitter. So, um, I'm yeah, I mean, I think, too, maybe. I'm going to veto and say that some of these guys are going to be in transfers that don't commit to Georgia at, at the first go around. Like, that Georgia's going to get a lot of people from the portal in future years because a lot of people want to come here. True. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't say a lot. I think there'll be several, but I mean, what do you consider a lot? Like more than two a year? I just threw out a, a word, coach. I didn't have a number. <laughs> I, I just say words. <laughs> Roster management is a big name, and 85 looms out there. I mean, you got to have some guys leave or go pro early and all to get to 85, but. We've talked about this, Jed, and I think you can see these guys around the country. If you're a really good player at Marshall or, or you know, Old Dominion or any place and really have a spectacular year uh, and we need we have a need for that position, there's going to be some recruiting there. I mean, these guys got a chance to come in, get NIL, play for a championship program. And uh, so it's really like, these, these teams don't have a chance with their best players if some big school comes after them. I mean, how can you sit there and say, look, you need to be loyal to us, blah, 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 which in the fact, in a way, is true. But you, there's the, the best teams, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, are just going to keep on rocking here with these grad transfers. You look at what Alabama's picked up this year in, in the uh, with that – that receiver uh, runs like a scalded dog from Louisville. I mean, this guy is really fast. I mean, he's almost as fast as the guy they just lost to the pros. We picked up Burton from our school and uh, the running back from uh, Georgia Tech. I mean, Gibbs. Gibbs, I mean, they've got three first-team players that are added to the team that played for the national championship that has about 
15 or 16 starters coming back. We haven't really brought in one transfer this year to this point, but there's still time that something could happen over the summer. That's yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's because I remember back in April and people would ask us, hey, when is your, when's the transfer train going to start coming towards Athens instead of away from it? And we all kept saying, just wait till after spring ball. There'll be more guys leaving, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, to be fair, I don't remember a whole lot of guys leaving after spring practice, but there still hasn't really been anyone come in. So you wonder, like, when when does that happen? Does it happen? I mean, last year, remember Eric Gilbert and um, Darian Kendrick both announced they were coming to Athens on June 1st. Well, that's a month in the rearview mirror now. I mean, spring practice starts in three weeks, basically. So you, you'd think if you're going to add somebody, it'd have to be before then. And I don't know. I mean, I don't... If it hasn't happened now, you wonder if it's if it's going to. Some of that's because a lot of players talk pretty big in the spring of like what they want to do and what their plans are, uh, and then when it comes time to like, hey, you need to enter the portal if you're going to do it, they didn't do it. I mean, there, there's multiple guys on Georgia's roster that appear happy right now that within the last I don't know four months, I'd had good sources tell me that they were as good as gone in the portal and they stayed around. So that's a credit to Georgia's coaches for getting them to buy into what they're doing, but also. They probably looked at their situation and said, it's pretty good here. Yeah, I mean, we lost one what, one offensive lineman, went to SMU. Uh, uh, but all of a sudden, William Poole sticks around, Bill sticks around. These guys will be in their sixth year. Uh, and they're going to be very heavy contributors, too. I mean, you got to think that William Poole is going to fight like heck to keep Tyke Smith, a transfer from West Virginia, uh, off his position. So, uh, we got a good good base of players, but uh, we didn't have – and I want to explain to everybody, the 85 total scholarship is based on your squad on depletion and addition, and that includes the seniors that leave, the juniors that leave, the, guy that get, get the guys that flunk out or the guys that get medical where they can't play anymore and the infusion of freshmen coming in. And we're right on the 85, the way I looked at it, watching, looking at that roster that they – without some of these guys aren't on scholarship and some of these guys I don't know are going to be playing next year. There's a couple that come to mind. So uh, we're right on the 85. Yeah. Well, I know what happened last year on June 1st. Wasn't that Jed's first day? Yep. Uh, it's sure been was. all downhill since then. I must have yeah, said that yeah, first day Georgia gets uh, Darren Kendrick and Arik Gilbert to transfer in. So I think what we need to do is fire Jed. Let him basically sit out a month and then rehire him to see if we can get some more transfers in. No, Georgia won a title after you hired Jed. So, like, if you do that, then people are going to think it's your fault for firing him. That's true. So, yeah. I'll yep. keep the superstitions up. All right, uh, Jed, I appreciate you jumping on there. Oh, wait, one last question. Jed, tell us a little something about this Rayleigh Wilson kid. Yeah, so he's a guy out of um, Tallahassee that Georgia he, – he had Georgia in his top two last December. He chose Michigan. and But Glenn Schumann, I mean, like we talked about, you don't stop recruiting these kids, especially especially now in the age of the transfer portal. Schumann went and saw him at a school in January. Uh, Wilson came up and visited the big weekend in March, that March 19th weekend. And then he took an official to Athens. I, I think it was the first weekend in June. might have been the second. Um so even leading up to that, we were kind of telling people, hey, don't be surprised if Raylan Wilson flips to Georgia and then he decommitted from Michigan. So once that happened, you were kind of thinking, yeah, it was a matter of if not when. But he's a guy, he's a um, he's a modern college football linebacker. He's really fast, runs sideline to sideline. He'll hit you when he gets there. And that's 
when you've got guys that have got to cover so much and you've got to play in space as a linebacker, that's what you need nowadays. He runs track at Tallah- at uh, Lincoln High School in Tallahassee. He returns punts as a, as a linebacker. So um, that's the guy that that you need in, in college football. So when you compare when you pair him with C.J. Allen, you've got Troy Bowles uh, committing on on Saturday. We all kind of think Georgia leads there. That's going to be a just a a crazy inside linebacker class if Georgia goes three for three on those guys. Again, uh, so Coach Dunn. If you have to pick the uh, recruiter of the year, who's it going to? I mean, you have Schumann's class is unreal. Todd Hartley's still landing crazy linebackers. Dell McGee is the recruit whisperer. I, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. Who, who, who gets your recruiter, recruiter of the year trophy? Kirby Smart. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the closer. I mean, the guy is, you know, he's the one constant every on every one guy. He has really good relationship. I know Jed can tell you that the guys that talk to him uh, from a head coach's perspective, he's just uh, all over these guys and relentless. Uh, certainly the position coach deserves a lot of credit. And I think in Schumann's case, to go after a guy that was already there going to Michigan the way, Michigan the way he flipped him, that was awesome too. But uh got to be careful about giving too much credit to individual coaches. I just think it's just a team effort. We got, we got all these uh, analysts that work on these guys. Uh, like last year, all these guys were talking about a die getting these secondary guys, but Will Muschamp came in here and did a fantastic job as an analyst and got in on these guys. And then when he could go on the road, he's like a different guy. I mean, you can't imagine what the presence of a guy going into somebody's home and has the background of being a national championship coach as a secondary coach at LSU, uh, doing a lot at Texas as a coach in waiting, then to say that you were an SEC coach at Florida and and also uh, at the uh, South Carolina, I mean, uh, they didn't do as well as they needed to when he was head coach. They couldn't get the offense going and then their defense. But he, he is a big plus to have him on our staff recruiting too. Uh, and not and now we're going to see a guy that I think was easily the best recruiter on uh, Coach Rick's staff, Mike Bobo. You, you you see so many of these guys, not just quarterbacks, but so many guys from South Georgia. It was like a one-way street up here when Mike was recruiting those guys. He just got tremendous respect among the coaches and the families, and I think he'll be a big plus to our recruiting too, having Mike work these guys. Yeah. Well, and Todd Hartley, too, right? I mean, Todd Hartley was a huge role in, in getting Nike Carr to commit, and that's not his position, Coach. But he's like Todd Hartley, the way Todd Hartley talks to him and talks about the, good. About the university, the school, and everything. He's Todd a good, them. He's good with the moms. I mean, he he was a big plus with Singletary's mom. I mean, he, he was in there because Jacksonville's his area. Just for the fans, the coaches have areas that they go to of the state. Just put it like a pie and break it up into different areas. And so those coaches go there every year, and they know the ninth graders, 10th grade. And then they, they're called the uh, geographical coach. And then the position coach gets in on them because he's the guy that's going to be their coach. So uh, it, it's it's a team effort. And then our recruiting staff just does a fantastic job, uh, very well organized. And w- when a guy comes in here for official visit, I mean, they got that planned up so well. It, it's unbelievable. And uh, – I know I've talked, I'm going to stop here on this, but I've spoken with a couple head coaches that have hired people from our recruiting staff 
that say what a big plus it was to bring them in and able to utilize all the stuff Georgia does to, to help or enhance their program. They had no idea some of these things we were doing. To, to that point, Coach, I think that you, know, you nailed it by talking about some of the assistants. And we hear uh, Coach uh, Eddie Gordon's name pop up all the time. We hear uh, uh, Montgomery Van Gorder's name pop up all the time. We hear Buster Faulkner's name pop up all the time in these recruiting classes. We should give them some of the credit, too, because they can't be on the road, but they can reach out to these kids, and the kids call them, and they send direct messages and texts and stuff like that. And those guys, it's yeoman's work, and it's a, a ton of stuff. And they're coming to play for Kirby. So you're right when you say who's the recruiter of the year. Kirby's the one. He is the uh, the closer when it comes to that. I was going to uh, say, that goes, a guy like Eddie Gordon, that goes double when you've got a, a coaching switch, right? Cause oh, yeah. Eight on staff. So – you talk to a guy like Monroe Freeling, and he was like, yeah, you know, Coach Luke leaving, it is what it is. But, yeah, I've got a great relationship with Coach Gordon. He's from South Carolina. Cam Pringle's got a good relationship um, with Eddie Gordon being a South Carolina guy. So guys like that, when coaches leave, then that's when their work – they really earn their money, right, is maintaining yeah. relationships with those guys and things like that. Serving as that bridge between uh, administrations, if you will. I love it. Yep. All right, Jeb, we're going to let you go. We're going to, I got to hit on a, uh, mention a couple of our podcast sponsors. So uh, I appreciate you jumping on and uh, taking the time with us today. We'll talk to you yep. later. Good job. Appreciate it. He's a good guy. Hey, Coach, uh, I'm actually going out. I'm going on vacation here in a bit. I'm going to head down to Orange Beach to see my boy. And then I'm taking the, some of my staff members are going to meet me in New Orleans this coming weekend. So we're going to basically have a, uh, a UGA sports retreat in New Orleans to uh, basically uh, talk about stuff we can do on the site and have a, have a weekend off, but I'm going to head to Orange Beach first and then I'll just drive over and meet them. But I need my car cleaned up and I need it to be checked out. So I went over to our friends over at Athens Ford, dropped the car off over there. They're going through it with a fine tooth comb, doing the, the uh, changing oil, all that fun stuff. Uh, making sure my AC works because it's, <laughs> it's hot out there. So they're doing all the stuff that you need to do in a car like that. And I just want to mention our friends at uh, Athens Ford for doing such a good job and taking care of it. And before I leave, though, because there's not a your pie pizza joint in Orange Beach, which bugs me. There should be one down there, but there's not. Because it's Tuesday, I'm going to grab a, uh, uh, a Southern Heat pizza from right right close to where you live. I'm going to grab one of the Southern Heats on my way out of town, and that's going to be my snacking food on the drive down. So. And, of course, I might get a little uh, one of those uh, Nono's Italian subs to uh, hold over until – so that when I – I just tell you, that pizza is good, but it's a long drive. So when dinner rolls around, and I can either stop at Bucky's or I can have my Nono's Italian. So I might have the Nono's Italian for uh, dinner today. So, anyway, point being, if you get a chance, swing – it's Tuesday. Use the double points. Grab the – uh, your pie app, order your pizza, order your sandwich, order your pasta, order your uh, gelato, uh, get that peach and prosciutto pie, uh, hit it up on the your pie app, get double points, which will get you free pizzas and free things uh, from your pie when you get the chance. All right. So anyway, shout out to your pie and Athens for, for making my life much easier. All right. Coach, I want to hit up another question that came in from um, dog stump. He asked a question last week too. Says when are Coke, Delta, and Home Depot going to help Georgia out with NIL? So when do you get the the big traditionally 
traditional mega corporations like, you know, that are thought of to be Atlanta centric, Georgia centric. When do they roll in and start helping with uh, NIL? When do you get those guys to put up some big money? Because we talked about like, I think it was like Luther Burden out in um, St. Louis. There was like that. Oh, Anheuser-Busch is going to help him out. And you talk to kids in Texas. Oh, they got oil money coming for those kids that are all going to Texas. But I haven't seen a Stetson Bennett Delta commercial. I haven't seen a Nolan Smith Home Depot commercial. Where's the Jalen Carter uh, uh, holding up a a Coke? How do you get those guys on board? Well, you know, most of these uh, big school, big ticket people have their marketing plans based on what they do. And uh, they got to be real careful about getting those, you know, a college individual in there. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Why they're going to would take a Georgia guy, you know, I I, I would take one and use it, but I don't know what they're, you know, they're looking at uh, international and all that stuff with the way Delta and Coke and the other one he mentioned. So uh, we're doing all we can. Uh, I mean, it's a big, it's a, without divulging, it's a big part of, of, you can't really do it as the coach, but you can help him get organized and, uh, you just keep hearing about, I mean, uh, there's not many days that go by that some coach or some alum or somebody from another school that I've known in the past say, hey, we lost this guy because he got so much on NIL and we couldn't match it or, you know, we didn't want to match it. So it's out there. I mean, you know, a really good offensive lineman right now probably going for 200 grand a year. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's just the way it is. Well, if you're the collective at uh, LSU, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and again, like you said, the coach can't sit up. Kirby Smart can't say, look, kid, come here. You'll get 200 grand in NIL money. But he can turn to the collective or turn to a booster and say, this kid would really like some NIL money. I can't set it up, but you can set it up. You know, and, coach, and the coach doesn't even need to foster. He can just say, hey, look, we have this. So they can do a presentation on NIL, but they can't make the connections. I think the NIL thing, though, that worries me about maybe some other schools is certainly the collective can get an average amount to somebody, you know, like uh, uh, like Oklahoma has one where every guaranteed every player on the team gets 50 grand plus the basketball and the softball. I don't know that we have that a guarantee yet, but but what what's really becoming intriguing is like the word at Tennessee that this guy's going to get two million a year, the quarterback if he stays, you know, from California. That couldn't be from a collective. That's got to be from some kind of something else. A couple guys got together. I don't know what the situation is, but you got the collective, which is you know give you the average amount to. I mean to a lot of different kids just to guarantee all of them got something. But the ones that are getting the mega deals is more uh, one or two big donors working out something. You know, they own some company and they're getting, they're putting it out there for them. The majority of NIL deals that are happening are like 600 bucks or something like that, just a one-off thing. That's most of what's happening for players. A lot of the stuff that gets reported is not true on the top end. And I guess if I'm going to talk about this, I should at least be transparent in saying that uh, I have been consulting on some communication stuff with the agency that Classic City Collective uses for its communication. So I've gotten to know those people really well. And the smartest thing that I think Georgia and Matt Hibbs has done 
they keep using the word sustainable. Find a thing that's sustainable because this is so new. There's a splash with a lot of money here for a lot of schools with some players, right? How sustainable is that? Because any business person is going to look at their bottom line and say, did we get our money's worth in that investment? And in a lot of these cases, it's going to be no. And so finding the sustainable way to do it, where this is something that really helps the future of the program, that is key. Because if you get to a point that a, a college football player is making more than half of, in this case, a quarterback, than, than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, that's not sustainable. That, that's going to be very, very disruptive. And, and that money won't keep going that way. When you say 600, though, you're talking about a one-shot deal. He gets 600 to do this or do that. That doesn't mean that's all he's going to get, right? Correct. I'm just meaning for like a, a, a one little thing, whether it be a restaurant or something. Don't like go that. out and sign some autographs or do all that stuff like that. But I, I do feel like that, uh, from what I understand, that 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 the guys that are and the people that, that are starting these collectives, for the most part, don't really feel like they're going to get any benefit from it. They're just wanting to help the program. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars. You use it in this collective to help these kids, but you don't have to represent my business or anything like that. There's plenty of that out there in their day. Yeah, that, that I mean that's happening, and that's the good thing about the Classic City Collective and Matt Hibbs is they open it up to just the regular fan. They have a uh, twenty-one, twenty-one. It's, it's centered around the number twenty-one. So basically. Hey, for 21 bucks a month, you can help out the Classic City Collective. You don't have to come in with $5,000 or $100,000, something like that. If you'll just come in with 21 bucks a month and we have 100 people, 100 Georgia fans do it. We have 1,000 Georgia fans do it. We have 10,000 Georgia fans do it. Think about it. If you had 10% uh, of Sanford Stadium on a Saturday, you'd have 9,300 people all giving $21 a month to the Classic City Collective. And then they can say, okay, hey, this kid signed with Georgia. Uh, we can have him promote, you know, this, this company wants to set a promotion. They can come to us and we can help them out. Or we can do, like you said, the coach, the coach where uh, everybody at Georgia is going to get this amount of dollars and, you know, for whatever social media thing they're doing, let, you know, they, they, they bridge the gap. I will say though, that the crazy, I like the sustainability thing because if the, Tennessee quarterback is getting $2 million a year or something like that times three, four years. What happens to the next Tennessee quarterback that comes in? He's going to want a bigger deal. So if it's not sustainable, there's not somebody else to fill that in. It's like, look, the last guy that came here got $2 million. You're only – your volunteer community collective thing is only saying, uh, hey, that they've got deals worth about $600,000. I'm as good as that last guy. Why am I not getting $2 million a year so – that is, some of those numbers are wrong. Some of those yeah, numbers are right. Some of those numbers so are so far out there to do a hypothetical, though. I mean, I can see why some, anybody's going to be mad based on that. And we, we just got it. We've only been doing this a year and yeah. no no controls over it yet that we know who's modifying it or anything like that. I mean, got to give that one guy up at Tennessee credit. He's on the team and he set up a deal where the players were getting money based on uh, he was doing these. Uh, agriculture th I mean you know uh, working around uh, doing uh, selling uh, you know uh, stuff you put out in your yard uh, whether it's fertilizer or whatever it might be and then the players were getting a, a percentage of it so uh, uh, the biggest thing they would do is get the uh, put 
what do you lay down around your trees and stuff? I can't think about it. It was a. I'm not sure the words you're going for. A weed, a weed killer, a fertilizer. No, I was talking about you know you lay out. It looks like the pine straw. He he had a pine straw business, and they were all using it. So, but let's get some questions here. There's so much hypothetical stuff on. Uh, I don't I don't think we're going to lose many players at Georgia because we don't have the financial wherewithal to make it happen. Well, it was a long-winded, long-winded answer to Dog Stomp's question about Coke and Delta and Home Depot. Yeah. I, I will say that the discussions were more fun when it was like, who was Cam Newton's bag man and what what handshake <laughs> with cash and, you know, what. Or, or even Jeremy Pruitt just missed out on a couple of years with that cash from the, in the McDonald's bag, right? <laughs> uh, well, what was it? Pat Dye's fishing cabin was always the accusation. <laughs> Georgia's up and back off of. Uh, Something That's intertwined with college football from the beginning. Yeah, we, we've heard all that fun stuff, you know. Uh, we, we do have a question from uh, Dog in France, Coach. I know that uh, he always has a fun one, and I appreciate him staying up to watch the show. Uh, Dog in France says, Coach, who is your first player off the bus, as you say that about a lot of guys? To play this year? Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's what he means. So, first player off the bus, and – the first comment we had was it's time to go duck hunting. So we're getting the SEC media days is next week. I'm, uh, going, I'm going here. So when they drive down to the Mercedes Benz Dome, who gets off the bus first? Jalen Carter. Okay. I mean, if you're looking at people, I think it's him and, and Darnell as far as physically imposing, right? But Jalen backs it up with everything. Not saying Darnell doesn't, but Jalen's a different different caliber i mean if you just if you didn't know the demeanor of the kid know what a good kid he is and all that if, if he walked up to you you'd be afraid i'm going mm-hmm. Rick gilbert i know you don't know who that is coach but eric gilbert to you but i'm gonna go with Rick gilbert getting off the bus he looks you know good i'm going dan jackson let's do it <laughs> I mean, i'm just gonna tell you our team there's a lot of guys who like to get off the bus i mean it, it, it's a good looking team getting off the bus that was a good. One. Hit him with uh, the Australian punter, and then you know, side swipe him with a Nazir Stackhouse. Yeah, I mean, I I used to tell our team when we when I was out man and playing some of these teams that we had to play these one A teams when I was at Marshall, and I said right before we went out for warmups, I said no matter what, you do not look down at the other team. Do not. Look at their warm-ups. Do not look at their players. Don't get beat before the game starts looking at them. I said, we've seen their tape. We know what we can do, but don't let them intimidate you here in warm-ups. And uh, some of them still looked. <laughs> you know, one of the most intimidating warm-up things was always Scott Cochran, especially when he was in Alabama and on the field as the strength coach pre-game. Uh, and I don't even know that we've acknowledged this, but him tweeting out that he's been sober for a year, like congrats to Scott Cochran, because I know yeah. he had a little dark journey, and, and we should acknowledge that and that he's back with Georgia and, and doing great. He's a big plus. He, he's a good morale guy, and he's worked hard. And I'm, I'm going to tell you the best pregame story that ever. It's going to take about one minute. But when Warren Powers got the job at Missouri, he came from, from Nebraska. And uh, so they're uh, – excuse me, he came – to Washington State first from Nebraska, and then he came to Missouri. So as fate would have it, Washington State was playing at Nebraska the first game. So being the uh, 
strength coach was an assistant at Nebraska. Everything they did was going to be the same as Nebraska. You know, you're going to come out on the field, stretch at the same time, do the same warm-up stretches, do everything, blah, blah, blah. So they had this defensive end, and uh, so everybody understands that both both teams at each end of the field are doing the exact same warm-up. So they had this one defensive end that Mark Heidorf was the coach, assistant coach. He's looking down, and he can't find his end. He looks down there, and he's in the Nebraska warm-up line doing their stretches with him. He got the wrong end. He had to go down there and get him off the breath. And nobody in Nebraska knew any difference. I mean, he had on a white shirt instead of a ribbon, but he was they blow the whistle and moved to their left leg and the right leg. The kid didn't even know the difference. So that was pretty cool. Wow. I've seen some of the videos of players like trying to go to the other huddle. Those are always funny to me. They were visually funny. But yeah, basketball more than football, though. You know, yeah. yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that that's always I love that one. That's a good one. That's awesome. Hey, I, I want to mention uh, our friends at Academia Brewing Company real quickly because we had dinner there last night. We had basically kind of a staff pre-New Orleans planning staff slash uh, uh, meet with some folks from UGA uh, dinner last night over at uh, uh, Academia Brewing Company. And we had, I think it was like eight people, eight, nine people. Um, they have tables that'll fit eight, nine people. You don't have to put in some crazy reservation and worry about stuff like that. Uh, the service was fantastic. We had two people looking out for us, constantly checking to see if we needed anything. The food was great. The tripletta sandwich went down. Somebody wolfed that one down. Then they had the uh, Kobe beef hot dog. That went down. I had a uh, salad with uh, chicken that was phenomenal. So many olives in it. Uh, my little Palestinian heart was so happy. Uh, point being, and then everyone was trying the different beers. Uh, I mention them every week, and I tell people to go out there and try the food. The food is phenomenal. Uh, Dave McMahon, our guy Stats, had uh, some uh, short ribs or something that were just they. I was jealous. I, I should order what he did instead of a salad. But point being, the food out there is phenomenal. The beer is great, and I just can't. I don't know how I can reiterate that other than saying, "Look, when people say where do you want to go eat, I'm like, let's go eat there." And I would say that even if they weren't a uh, sponsor of ours. So, uh, just telling you from firsthand experience, go try them out when you get a chance. And uh, Danny, if you would, bring up our Dead Soxie people real quick. I'm going to grab something. Dead Soxie, uh put together by a couple of Ole Miss grads, but uh, they definitely have a collection for Georgia fans as well and a loyal sponsor to UGA Sports. And uh, you told me to bring up their stuff, and then now I have to show something that you're in. Hold on. Yeah, well, come back to me real quick, because I would say, you know, how they have their kind of design, uh, special designs there. Um uh, our friends are with the seven six apparel, you know, that's uh, uh, they've sponsored our watch long show. We talked about how you can get uh, dead Soxy socks and put your own logo on them. Well, he's got some logo socks that have the outline of George and the national championship trophy on it. Oh, hold that a little closer to your camera. Ooh, yeah. look at that. So for the podcast listeners, it's a gray outline of the state of Georgia with the national championship trophy, kind of with a red and black and white stripe, and 2021 underneath it. Those are swanky. Those are swanky. So our buddy over the 7-6 the apparel teamed up with Dead Soxy. So and to put so he said, look, I want to put my logo or my design on these socks. So a collaborative effort between two of our uh, good sponsors, and I really like these no-shows. Y'all know I wear the no-shows every day from Dead Soxy. So point being, if you have a logo for your company, and it's, you know, 
real estate, banking, finance, whatever, uh, hit up our, the guys at Dead Socks and say, look, put my logo on your fantastic socks. People will wear them every day because they're the most comfortable socks you can wear and we'll have it made. So just saying, I'm, I'm putting our money where our mouth is. One of our uh, friends in this industry, you know, the folks at the 7-6 teamed up with Dead Socks to make some great Georgia themed stuff. So uh, just let them know let, and that you see those great designs they have. So hit them up when you get a chance. Uh, do we have any uh, other questions there, Dane, from the uh, board? Um, so I, I kind of didn't um, post early. very early because, you know, I'm, I'm great at my job. But I did just want to mention, Coach, we, we talked about how players are now back on campus. They had a week off kind of around the July 4th holiday. What goes on with the next two weeks? We know media days tends to be kind of the, the first sign that football season's coming, August full-on fall camp. What about these final two weeks of July? Well, the players are in a heavy lifting mode where they're doing uh, whatever position-related uh, strength gains they're going to try to get or maintain from this what they had after spring practice. And then they'll get into the lifting routine that they do during the season, which is just maintenance uh, more than anything because you don't want to get a guy hurt trying to increase his strength. Uh, you know, he's got so much going on with practice. But they're having a, you know, two or three times a week, they'll lift, they'll, they'll do some extra running as a group. And then, as we've talked about before, but I'll mention the NCAA lets you meet with the players up to eight hours uh, along with uh, conditioning drills, eight hours. So it's an eight-hour window. So we might meet for 45 minutes and have an hour and 15 of conditioning, which means they're doing drill work, agility, uh, speed and quickness. No balls are out there for that. You can't use it. You can't be working on plays. And then the coaches leave and they do uh, seven on seven with the receivers and quarterbacks and DBs and linebackers. And then the O-line, D-line do some specific drills against each other. You know, they don't have pads on, but they're just working on technique. But uh, that's basically it. But they, they usually will give them a day off, uh, maybe a Monday or a Friday, so they can have a longer weekend if they want it. But, but it's balls to the wall right now. They're going at it hard. Well, and let's recap the players that are probably getting assessed for injury recovery to see if they'll be able to play. Um, in Bowers in Washington this spring, but I think they're fine. Ratledge is the one that, that I have heard multiple things on. Who knows with him? Like, we have to see what he can do once fall camp gets here. Yeah, I've seen Tate out there, uh, and I've asked him uh, several times how he's doing. And, uh, of course, I don't go watch these drills, but uh, he seems to be cleared. And, uh, you know, as – he had a Liz Frank injury on his uh, ankle, which is, you know, very debilitating, but he's come back and uh, working hard. So, and I think the same thing's true with Tyke Smith. Uh, had a knee surgery. Bear Alexander had his shoulder operated on. Uh, numerous linebackers had some things. On, I think Tresman Marshall, uh, some of these guys. But uh, for the most part, uh, Ryan Goaty had a little knee uh, worked on. So, Man, well, I hope he gets healthy. He's had such a rough string of injuries since he's been at Georgia. Really, yeah, Goody and Marshall. He's due for uh, nothing else can happen to him. He's a, he's a Jack Bowerly on our team. 
Jack Byerly's had every injury in the history of a mankind. Uh, leads leads the NCAA in um, surgeries. That's our swimming co- ex swimming coach, but he's he's a mechanical man. He's got everything on his body. He's been replaced, I think. So the six million dollar man going back to who's that? Is that Lee Majors. I'm not that old, Roddy. Yeah. And- Lee Majors, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, Coach gets my, gets my <laughs> obscure references. He watched TV with me back in the day. He, he gets it. Uh, Co- coach, at what point, do, as a head coach of a team like this, and maybe it's just constantly, but at what point do you kind of mentally turn to say, all right, here we go, Let's, we're ramping up for another season? Because I even know as a media member, I feel that way, where it's like I, the fall is a different pace of workflow for me in media, and I know coaching's got to be ramped up about 100 times. I think for the coaches at this point, it's more when they come back off vacation. And as Roddy mentioned in the first part of the show, you know, coaches work year round in recruiting and they're doing that even when they're on vacation or texting kids and things like that. But I would say uh, a week from now when the coaches uh, come, they, they usually take three and a half weeks. And when they come back, then that that's a real – deal where they, hey, we've had a chance to rest up, get your batteries charged, uh, we're getting ready to go. So I'd say probably July the 28th, whenever they start back, that'll be because even though the players work hard with the strength staff out there and all that, I mean, it's nothing like having your regular coaches with you. And if people are curious, I think the first day of classes, it's something like August 17th. Uh, and so that obviously is butting up against game prep. So uh, yeah, a lot we, of fall camp happens before even Roddy, get back. I didn't know this, but Roddy put that our team was starting practice on August 3rd. So, as usual, he knows stuff that I don't. But oh, please. we're starting August 3rd. But the, the difference now is you can't have two-a-day practices. you got 29 opportunities. But you, you can have walkthroughs that, that don't count where you just go out there and, and simulate what you're going to do. But I think it's good for uh, – you know, maintaining the health of the players not to have all this extra hitting and uh, contact in the fall. You just it's, – it's a good move, and players and coaches have adjusted to it. But you'll never win a title with all this pussyfooting around, Coach. After two days, you'll never win a title. I think the real difference, though, preparation-wise, you know, we used to say there's no difference between a mental and a physical rep. I think the fact that all these guys can now come in here in June, whether you're a freshman or any, and some of them come in in January, yeah. having that two months of uh, getting used to everything, having those two months of extra mental work meeting and knowing your assignment. Uh, I've always said that if you go to the line of scrimmage and you know what you're supposed to do, you're going to have a good shot because you're a, you're a good athlete. But if you're confused and you're, you're not sure, that guy on the other side is probably going to whip your butt. So the mental part is so much better now with all the extra meetings. And so you give away a little bit not being able to have that extra practice two-a-days and conditioning and all, but you make up for it with the whole team doing what they do June and July. I will say this has been my 29th year of covering Georgia football, and I can go back to – I was here when you came in, Coach, and I remember – we there were times when we could talk to freshmen and you'd talk to them on the second, third, fourth day of practice. 
and you say, how's it going? And you could just see the confusion in their eyes. <laughs> they were just yeah. lost. They were to line up on the wrong team's uh, warm-up line, you know, <laughs> that was what could happen. So, uh, but yeah, now when you talk to, uh, when we do get talk to freshmen, not as much anymore, but when What's they come through, <laughs> yeah, I always, always look forward to that first meeting, coaches-wise, after the first day, uh, first practice. Yeah, when you had those guys in, and basically, at that point, we haven't hadn't seen the freshmen like they do now. But at that point, we knew whether we had a player that's going to help us right away or it's going to take him some time. So, only thing I said was, "Okay, man, pretty obvious, champs ready, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, champs, champs going to be okay. I, th- I think we're good there. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I mean, but." as high as you were on some of them, you were thinking, good Lord, why do we recruit this guy? But normally speaking, they'll develop and all that. But uh, it's just easier for a freshman to make the transition. And the number one thing I would tell parents that are getting ready to have a young man or woman leave their house and go off to school for the first time, it's okay to be homesick. You should be. I mean, you you got the love and care of your parents that you've had your whole life. There's nothing wrong with being homesick. I mean, that's, that shows you got the right value. So you just got to work around it, and, and the parents got to help too, and you got to support these kids. And when they call home saying, I want to come home, I want to come home, I said, look, you just got to hang in there, and, and you know, it'll be okay. So uh, very emotional time when you, when you let that kid off to go to campus. Question from Gary Holt on Facebook. Coach, do you get pumped up the closer that we get to game day? Oh, automatically. Uh, I mean, I'm, test. I'm telling you, uh, I mean, without – you guys know me and everybody that around here knows, I mean, my, my situation now, I mean, football is, is, is the deal for me with, uh, you know, certainly I got grandchildren and everything, but uh, I don't get to see them. But I, I love going over there and when I love watching these guys develop and get to know them and uh, – Hope that I can make a little imprint in them, uh, encouraging them. But I get fired up. I mean, I know that everybody does. But uh, and the thing that I'm fired up about is all these naysayers saying, "Well, it's gonna be hard to repeat. It's gonna be, you know." And my only thing is, why not? I mean, you know, sometimes your best teams come from teams that you didn't think were gonna be what they are. But uh, we got the right guy pulling the switches over there. He knows how to handle the morale and he knows how to motivate teams and uh, he'll make sure that this team's ready. We'll play as good as we are capable of. Gary, to answer your question as someone that's gotten to know coach pretty well over the last couple of years, I consider him a a close family friend at this point. Uh, He's got the same competitive fire that he did when he was head coaching. I don't think that's something that goes away. I don't know that it matters if it's football or tennis or trying to get uh, an an audience on a YouTube channel. Like, it's all the same for him if I want to be the best at what I'm doing. And it's really cool to see. I'm not wired that way. And I don't know that I ever have been. You're good. You're good with it. But, I mean, you you know, if you show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. I mean, if it doesn't doesn't bother you that you don't do – whatever you're doing, if you don't do your best at it, then, you know, that's okay. But I mean, I I just think whatever you got, whatever you decide to do, do it. And some people can't do it like some others, but uh, I I feel like 
strength for me is being able to watch a player and make some points about what I think could help them or, you know, see something that I, I feel like could help. But And and do these shows where I can clarify some, from people that uh, some of the things that uh, they might be concerned about that I, I feel like I know, but I don't know near as much as some of these uh, people on the dog vent. They got me beat. Bad. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, you, Coach, if you'd been around on the dog vent long enough, you'd actually you, – you know some things. Like, like did, you see that, did you see that quote that uh, the, the, the Rutgers coach uh, made – couple weeks ago he said two things that every male in the country think they're expert are at one grilling on the grill yep. and two calling football plays <laughs> yeah. guilty I, every every i think that y chromosome gives you that uh, ability to convince yourself that you can grill better and coach better than any other man out there so when I was a young boy going to Sanford Stadium with my dad, and this was, you know, we'd go a couple times a year, and uh, we'd be up in the 300 section near the trumpeter, and there was this guy whose voice, I swear, it carried across the stadium. And he would sit there. This is probably early Rick there at this point. Uh, and and he, he would sit there and he'd just say, run the damn ball. And then, of course, at that point, you know, at the time, David Green would hit a 40-yard pass to – you know, I don't know who would have been at that. Michael, you know, who would Green have thrown to right then? Uh, okay, you aren't giving me a name. Thanks for the help. He, he would throw a 40-yard pass at that point, and he'd be caught. And he'd say, I told you to pass the ball. Oh, hey, dude, uh, same thing. We're in uh, Atlanta Fold County Stadium. I'm there with my dad. who's chain smoking, you know, and because uh, you smoke back in the stadium. We're at a Falcons game. And, hey, hey, give the ball to William Andrews. <laughs> that was every play. Give it to him. So, Dad, what about Billy White? He's Johnson. I give the damn ball to William Andrews. Run the damn thing, damn it! You know, every other word was a curse word with Baba. So, uh, but that was it. You know, Dad knew. And then Steve Barkowski lets one rip. You know, sixty yards down the sideline. You know, still could run it. You know, <laughs> it's just everyone thinks they're a genius. Hey, uh, but that's the thing is, it if the play works. And you yelled out, run it, and they hand it to uh, Kenny. And all of a sudden, or Kendall Milton, and they get 60 yards, you're proven right. Then if they throw a pass and gets knocked down, well, if we'd run it, that wouldn't have happened. But you can never ask those guys, what what is the defense doing? And that's why I coach the best thing we've ever done, I think, is to have you do the watch-long show where you can point out before the ball snapped half the time, here's what's going to happen on this play based on the alignment. You see how the defense lines up and the offense lines up. You tell us what's going to happen before the play does, and then you explain it to folks. So that is a long-winded pitch for me to point out, hey, we're getting closer to the season. We're, what, uh, seven weeks away? When the season gets here, we're going to have the UGA Sports Watch Along, folks. You guys need to tune into that. So have your game, have the Georgia-Oregon game on your TV, and then on your laptop, on your phone, on your iPad, on your whatever tablet you have. Bring up this YouTube channel and do the watch long show with us. We had 60,000 viewers for the national championship. 60,000 folks joined us for that. So point being, you'll know why you don't just run the damn ball in that situation or why running the ball and coach will, hey, look, if we run it to the outside here, no one's going to catch him. And yeah, so you never know about that. James Cook is gone. Yeah, you brought up William Andrews. I remember when I went visiting his home 
and uh, trying to recruit him. And, you know, I knew he was going to Auburn. Uh, just stud, stallion guy. I mean, what a, he was a good guy. You know, you go visit people like that. I mean, I went to Dan Marino's home. And, uh, I was trying to talk to him about going to our school and, He's looking at me like, well, Coach, I'm going to go to Pitt. You know what I mean? But uh, just think about all the good players over here. You mentioned these guys. He brings up good memories and bad. But uh, <laughs> you always try hard to get in the door with some of those guys. And, How yeah. would you handle the situation if you go into a recruit's home and let's just say the food is not very good, but you have to be nice about it? <laughs> hey, I've had to do that a lot. <laughs> Uh, more than like more than most times it was good but you, you got to space it out too because if you go to three or four places you just tell the coaches hey set it up where i'm not eating at this one i don't want to make them i can't eat every place you know and you can only go to so many days i mean so many people during the day but all these mamas want to fit the food for you and everything but I told about three, four years ago I had it on this show, so I'm sure people don't remember, but Chris Selfo and I were in his house up in Pittsburgh, and we were working hard on this kid to go to Marshall, and his mother said, would y'all like some angel food cake? And, of course, we said, sure, let's have some. She said, would you like something to drink? And uh, we said, no, we'll be okay. And uh, so Chris took back. One bite of the angel food cake and say, Hey, you got any milk? <laughs> <laughs> it was so dry. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, it was one of the he said, You got any milk after the first bite? <laughs> subtle, Chris. Subtle, coach. I love it. Yeah, I mean, Chris is uh, great with those families. I, mean, I remember working on. We were supposed to see Tim Wandley's mama after a basketball game. It went like three overtimes over there in Buford and finally got to see him and talk to him because you can't talk to him until they're cleared from the game, you know. Right. And just uh, just one after the other, just think about these guys, these visits with them. Longtime fan Chuck Ward says that the Watch Along Show is a necessity for those of us too far away to make the game. Chuck's out there in Texas and joins on every Watch Along Show. I tell you, Chuck's about as loyal viewers you'll ever have, and he he knows what's going on too. He he can fact check you. I mean, if you're not sure about something, he'll and we'll, and that's one thing we got on the show is you can use your computer and ask questions during the game, and uh, if we can't answer them, Chuck always answers them. He knows everything. I mean, he's he's awesome. We've also had uh, a couple of special guests. Maybe we can do that again this year. Um, I want to. You mean I'm not special enough? Is that what you're saying? No, no, you're not. We need to get some sponsors, though. I mean, yeah. Well, I was going to say. So we have equipment you're buying and everything. I mean, I can't, I can't keep letting you use my place down here unless we have some better equipment. You know. <laughs> we'll have a. We'll definitely. Bring, uh, we're open to having a few more sponsors for the show. But I want to mention that we've had uh, some good stuff that comes from uh, having guys at the stadium at the same time, you know, or we'll have Dave in the truck and Dave will send us some uh, stats that nobody else has. And, you know, having guys in the stadium, sometimes they give us some information that it's not being put on the broadcast, you know, because right. you, so, get, you get those uh, spots down thing. there in pregame warmup that call me and tell me stuff. So. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, folks, we're going to have to break out to that's, that's the end of the time we have for today. I'm getting a phone call. I need to turn that off. I uh, want to tell everybody to tune in next Tuesday at noon. We'll be back. Um, 
I'm going to take off a few days here. And uh, uh, so the commitments I'll, are coming. I was just about to say, if you go to ugasports.com right now and look on, uh, we should I should have had Jed mention this yesterday or um, earlier today. Uh, he had a story. Who are the next commitment? The next five commitments for Georgia. And I'm just saying, see, like every time I go on vacation, well, hell, I was off yesterday. I was working at my aunt's house, and Georgia got a 2025 running back. First day I took off, commit. So I'm going out of town. I'll be I'll be back next Tuesday for the show, but I'll be off the rest of that week. July is going to be a big month for UGA. So if you take anything away from this show, it's going to be this. The July will be a big month for Georgia recruiting. It's already been huge. You've had five commits in 11 days. Some of the class of 2023, some of the class of 2024, now in the class of 2025. I'm going to leave, which means my staff will be stuck with breaking recruiting news because they always do it when I'm gone, which is great. So uh, point being, do not uh, – I know everyone's trying to get in some last-minute vacations before fall camp starts, but be sure to tune into UJ Sports, the website, and this show for recaps of all the stuff that's going down.